0: Good morning, this is the Reverend Dr. A.E. Madison welcoming you from King's Community Baptist Church and I'd like to begin with a word of thanks. Thank you to all of our listeners who listen on Anchor or Spotify, Apple or Google and thank you for sharing our messages with your loved ones. Also, there are daily devotionals provided by myself on the church's Facebook page and my personal Facebook page. We do these Sunday through Friday, and we're working our way through the Psalms. Finally, if you have a prayer request, a concern, or a personal intention, please feel free to use the Prayer Partners page at the King's Community Baptist Facebook page as well. Our scripture this morning comes from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. It is our custom to stand when we read scripture at Kings. If you would stand with me. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Well, if we were at church, I would call the children forward and I would ask for their ID. And I know that they would give me a funny look and I would say, what? You don't have any identification? How do you know who you are? And they would laugh, and I would laugh, and then I would show them perhaps several forms of my identification. I would bring my passport with my picture or my driver's license. I would bring a library card or my school ID. And I would say that what Thomas was looking for is, is what people are looking for today. Do you have proof that you are who you say you are? Now, Thomas found proof in meeting Jesus because Jesus showed him his hands with the holes from the nails and he showed him his side with the hole from the spear. And after John Thomas touched these, he believed. And I love that verse at the end where Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet do believe. Because, friends, that's us. We're the people who believe without seeing. Amen. And then I would send the children off to Children's Church, and we would move into our sermon. So does anybody know who Kristen Powers is? Kirsten, I'm sorry, Kirsten is a columnist for USA Today and a Newsweek and a Fox contributor. And some time back, she told of her transition from being an atheist to believing in Christ. She explained that at one time, no one knew she was a Christian. All of her friends were New York liberals, and if they ever spoke of Christianity, they spoke with disdain at the ignorance and foolishness of people who wasted their time going to church. Someone once asked her if there was a deal-breaker in dating for her, and she had replied, Well, just nobody who's religious. But then she began dating a Christian. And somewhere along their relationship, he asked her if she believed that Jesus was her Savior. She was quite blunt. No, she said. Then he asked her, Do you think you could keep an open mind about it? Well, of course, she said. I'm very open-minded. And even though she wasn't at all, she decided Christians... I'm sorry, she derided Christians as anti-intellectual bigots who were too weak to face the reality that there's no rhyme or reason in the world. And she found this man's church attendance an oddity to be overlooked, not a point in his favor. As he talked, she says, I grew conflicted. On one hand, I was creeped out. On the other hand, I had enormous respect for him. He's a smart, educated, intellectual, curious man. And I remember thinking, what if this is true? Am I even willing to consider it? She started going to church with him and found sermons that shook her faith in her atheism. And after a while, her life went through some rocky times and a friend suggested she go to a Bible study in an apartment in New York. She said, I remember walking into that Bible study, I had a knot in my stomach. In my mind, only weirdos and zealots went to Bible studies. I don't remember what was said that day, she says. All I know is that when I left, everything had changed. I'll never forget standing outside that apartment and saying to myself, It's true. It's completely true. The world looked entirely different, like a veil had been lifted and I had not an iota of doubt. I was filled with indescribable joy. Kirsten was a woman who doubted God. And we would expect to see doubts in the lives of atheists and agnostics. We'd expect to see doubt in the lives of people who don't go to church. We would even expect to see doubt in the lives of those who just play at being Christian but committed followers of Christ, they'd never doubt, would they? Yeah, every once in a while, they do too. Now, as I was preparing for the sermon this morning, I thought I'd investigate what Greek words were used for doubt, and I was surprised to discover that there are several different Greek words translated doubt in the New Testament. For example, there's the word diakrino, which means to hesitate. That's the word Jesus used when he said, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt, hesitate in their heart, but believes that they say will happen, it will be done for them. Sometimes when we doubt, we hesitate. It doesn't mean we don't believe, we just step back a moment. That's the word, Diocrino. Then there's the Greek word distazo, which means actually to doubt. And that's the word used when Peter walked on the water. Do you remember that story? Jesus came out walking on the water and Peter asked if he could do the same? Sure, Jesus says, come on out. And Peter walks on the water. He almost gets to Jesus. And do you remember what happened? That's right. He began to feel the wind and see the waves and he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. He cries for help and Jesus reaches down and pulls him out of the water. And when they get into the boat, Jesus asks him, why did you doubt? Distasio, doubt. And then the word used in John 20 about Thomas is apistos. The Greek word pistos or pistouon means faith. And the A at the beginning of the word means no. So literally, this word means no faith. It's the opposite of John 3.16. When the Bible says, whosoever believeth in him, that's pistouon, this is not believing in him. Thomas says, I will not. I choose not to believe. Now, this says to me from the Bible and the Greek that there are flavors of doubt. There's different kinds of doubt. There's the doubt when I want to pray for something, but I hesitate because it seems too bold and too outrageous. Whatever as I want seems to be too outlandish to bother God about. So I hesitate. Then there's the kind of doubt like, peter on the water i suddenly feel overwhelmed by my circumstances and i take my eyes off jesus and find myself focusing more on the crashing waves around me we shouldn't doubt like that but we do it's almost normal for us to hesitate once in a while or to become overwhelmed by our circumstances but this apistos thing this doubt that thomas had this is a different kind of doubt It's the most dangerous form of doubt. The other flavors of doubt will slow us down in our faith or cripple us at crucial moments in life. But the kind of doubt, this apistos, no faith kind of doubt that Thomas had, this kind of doubt will destroy us. This kind of doubt will cut us off from God. Paul warned Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are computed, and do not believe, apistos, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. I want you to hear this. The Bible makes it very clear that belief is a choice. Now, Thomas had all the available information. He had traveled with Jesus. He had seen the miracles of Jesus. But this was rather a big order to understand, to believe that Jesus had actually come back from the dead. See, having all the information is sometimes not enough. Leah Iacocca, the creator of the Ford Mustang, once told a business associate, the trouble with you is that in college, they taught you not to take any action until you have all the facts. Well, you've got 95% of them But it's going to take you another six months to get 5%. And by the time you do, it will be out of date. Somewhere along the line in your life, you'll be faced with having to make a choice. And you'll not have all the information you'd like. But you still need to make a decision. If you always wait till you have all the information, you may never make a choice. Thomas had all kinds of information. He walked with Jesus for three years and had seen Christ heal hundreds of people by just touching them, feed thousands with just a small amount of food, and actually raise people from the dead. I heard Tony Campolo tell this story that he had just finished a lecture and a student stood up and said, Dr. Campolo, You seem like a reasonable man. How can you, with your sophistication, really believe in the Bible? Tony replied, it's easy. I've decided to, and I have to explain. Once I decided that I believe in it, I spent the next 35 years of my life accumulating arguments to support what I already believed. But reason only came in afterwards. It only supported what I already committed myself to believe. Now, before you get nasty with me, Campola told him, I have got to ask you a question. Why don't you believe in the Bible? Isn't it because you've decided to? Please don't tell me you've read it from cover to cover. Spare me that. And don't give me that jazz that it's full of contradictions because you can't name five Somewhere along the line, you decided not to believe. And after you decided not to believe, you've been accumulating evidence to support your commitment to non-belief. Tony says the student looked at him and said, you don't understand. For me to believe in God, I have to have a God that I can understand. Capola replied, God refuses to be that small. Now, here's the deal. If your God were small enough to understand, he'd be too small to worship. We worship a big God who goes beyond anything we can understand or explain. We have a God who can accomplish way more than we can even begin to imagine in our lives. It reminds me of uh, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson ranks as one of the nation's greatest intellects. But not many people know that he rejected the notion of miracles. When he approached the scriptures, he did not tolerate those passages that dealt with the supernatural. Do you know what he did? He wrote his own Bible. Yes, you can get copies of the Jefferson Bible, but you will only find the moral teaching and historical events of Jesus' life. There's no record of the virgin birth, no healing of Jairus' daughter, no walking on water, no resurrection. Here is how his Bible ends. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. It's very easy to rewrite history to say, well, that didn't happen. But the story remains that the disciples were witnesses to these events. Thomas Jefferson, in essence, is calling the disciples liars, and that they continued throughout the first century for 70 years to propagate those lies. Furthermore, Jefferson's Bible has been robbed of its power. I'm convinced that the church does not accomplish 2,000 years of life inside the walls of a close dark sepulcher. There is no power in that dark place. Rather, the church is alive because Jesus is alive forevermore. The real gem of this story is not Thomas. The real gem in this story is you and me. When I was a kid in Sunday school and the teacher was teaching us John 20, after he read the part about Jesus telling Thomas that there would be a lot of people who would not see him but who would still believe. My teacher commented, Jesus means us. He's talking about us. We've never seen him the way the disciples did, but he is our savior and we believe in him. Jesus is talking about us. All these years later, I can still remember marveling over the thought that tantalized my young heart. I'm in the Bible. Little Doc Madison is in the Bible. Well, friends, it brings us to this final story. And it's, it's not a happy one. I read a story by Leslie Flynn, who told of a small boy being raised in a frontier city by his grandmother. One night, the house catches fire. The grandmother, trying to rescue the boy who was asleep in the bedroom upstairs, is overcome by smoke and dies in the fire. The frontier city doesn't have much of a fire department. A crowd gathers around the house, and they hear a small boy crying out for help. The lower floor is a wall of flames, and no one seems to know what to do. Suddenly, a man pushes through the crowd and begins climbing an iron drainage pipe, which runs to the roof. The pipe is hot from the fire, but he makes it to a second-floor window. The man crawls through the window and locates the boy. With the crowd cheering encouragement, the man climbs back down the hot iron pipe with the boy on his back and his arms around his neck. A few weeks later, a public meeting was held to determine in whose custody the boy would be placed. Each person wanting the child would be allowed to make a brief statement. The first man said, I have a farm and I would give the boy a good home, and he would grow up on the farm and learn a trade. The second person to speak was the local schoolteacher, and she said, I'm the schoolteacher, and I would see to it that he received a good education. Finally, the banker said, Mrs. Morton and I would be able to give the boy a fine home and a fine education. We would like him to come and live with us. The presiding officer looked around and asked, is there anyone else who would like to say something? From the back row, a man rose and said, these other people may be able to offer some things I can't. All I can offer is my love. And then he slowly removed his hands from his coat pockets. A gasp went up from the crowd because his hands were scarred terribly from climbing up and down the hot pipe. The boy recognized the man at once as the man who had saved his life and ran into his waiting arms. The farmer, teacher, the banker simply sat down. Everyone knew what the decision would be. The scarred hands proved that this man had given more than all the others. So this leaves us, friends, with the decision. Like Tony Campolo said, You can choose to believe. You can choose not to believe. John finishes this story with the words, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So choose to stop hesitating and meet the risen Christ. Give your heart to Jesus today. Choose to stop finding reasons to not believe. Make the decision to believe and give your heart to Jesus today. Realize that you can choose to believe as easily as you can choose not to believe. Give your heart to Jesus today. His hands, his reaching hands, his waiting hands, his loving hands, his scarred hands are reaching for you. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs>